Welcome to Rock Creek Church. A couple quick announcements for you. If you could finish grabbing your tea or bagel or coffee, a few uh, announcements for you. Good morning. First of all, good morning. Glad you're here and worshiping with us. Uh, glad that you've carved out some time out of your day. If you're a first-time visitor or maybe you brought by a family member or you're checking us out as, as a church, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and unbelievably grateful uh, to spend the morning with you uh, worshiping God. So uh, thank you for being here. As always, we are always wanting to connect with you in some significant ways. You can do that uh, in two specific ways. You can do it out at the kiosk uh, in the front table there. There's that little iPad. You can connect with us there. You can also connect with us uh, on our app that is free. And the whole idea behind that is we just want to sit and have a conversation with you and get to know you. Uh, and there are a bunch of seats. Will, Will, don't act like you don't hear me. Come on up. There's a lot of seats up here. Shane, Will and Shane, come on up. You guys have room up here. Uh, but we have uh, a lot of different things going on in the church. We just want to have a conversation with you, let you know what's going on about the church, get to know you a little bit more, uh, be able to answer some questions, hear your story, allow you to hear our story as a church, but also our personal story. So you can connect with us uh, in those ways. Next slide. For some reason, I'm not seeing them on the back wall. I don't know what, what is going on with that. Uh, we have life groups that are going on. If you didn't know this, we have a table set up in the back. Lisa Repenning and Christine Sheridan, can you guys both stand up, please? Can we give them a round of applause? I wasn't going to do that. Lisa asked me, can you have a stand so, and people clap? So I do what I'm asked, and so there you go. Uh, but we are launching life groups. Our life groups are smaller groups that get together in people's uh, houses uh, and discuss the sermon, go a little bit deeper, uh, build relationships, uh, spend some time praying for each other, have some food, laugh and cry together, etc. And so those are meeting all over the place. In fact, if you're a life group leader, would you stand in this room? Uh, a bunch are serving in kids ministry as well. Go ahead and stand. Yeah, awesome. Woo! Awesome. They're, those are our life group leaders. And uh, they are the ones that will be facilitating uh, the discussion and, and building community. We have them in Westminster, Broomfield, uh, Superior, Louisville, Erie. We have them all over the place. And so we want to help you connect in one. They're launching the first full week of September. And so if you are not plugged into one, maybe you've been attending here for three years and you've heard us every Sunday talk about life groups, maybe this is your year to get plugged into one of those. We'll have the discussion with you. If you go back to the table, to the blue table, after the service, both Christine and Lisa will be there. It tells all the different groups where they're meeting, when they're meeting, what day they're meeting, and then you can kind of have a discussion with them to get plugged in. The vast majority, we almost have almost 90% of our church is plugged into one of these life groups, which is astronomical for a church of any size, let alone our size. So if you're not plugged into those, we want to help have that uh, discussion with you to get you uh, plugged into one of those. Next slide is I love my church. You might notice some of the people in these picture. For instance, Will. <laughs> Some of you are new and you're like, why is he yelling Will? That's Will. Will, wave your hand in the back. Yeah, that's handsome Will. 
Uh, This is I Love My Church. We are going to be launching this uh, series in two weeks. Next week, Alex is wrapping up uh, our study of Habakkuk, and then we are launching a four-week series on I Love My Church. Now, the idea behind this series is not that we just love each other. It's not just going to be a huge love fest of, of doting on one another. The idea is, why do we love our church? What's the mission and vision behind our church? Where are we going? Why are we going there? How are we going to get there? What's involved? What is a healthy, uh, growing church that you fall in love with look like? And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Rock Creek Church specifically, but also what God's plan for the church is going to be. Now, over the next probably four or five weeks, you're going to be hearing from both staff and elders as we kind of tiptoe into that sermon series on everything from facilities to uh, community building to finances, uh, missions, etc. You're going to be hearing on a regular basis from us to be able to answer the question, why do we love our church? And what does that look like for us to love our church? So be expecting that as we move forward. It's going to be a great series. Uh, We will have several of these people up uh, be sharing uh, with you, and it's going to be a super fun time. I think that's it. Are Are we good to go? Awesome. So last week, we kicked off a new series uh, creatively titled Habakkuk, and that's because we're studying the book of Habakkuk. Now, I don't know if this is what Habakkuk looked like, but the guy looks pretty awesome. He also looks pretty weathered. Looks like he's been through a lot, good times and bad times, rough times, a lot of questions coming before God. We launched last week looking at chapter 1. And so to catch you up to speed, if you missed last week, uh, you can catch that both on our app and on our website. Uh, You can listen to that. But if you missed last week, I want to catch you up to speed. The the name Habakkuk uh, actually means to embrace or wrestle, or if you're from the South, wrestle, right, Lori? Uh, And so that's what the, the word means, that this guy's name means to embrace. And, and it's not an embrace like, oh, I love my church, you know, nice, uh, beautiful hug, but embrace as in I got you clenched. It also means to wrestle uh, with. And so that's what we're studying. It was written around 600 BC or so. And here is exactly, in my own words, what the Lord told Habakkuk, tell your people, I'm going to destroy them because they're wicked. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, your arch enemies, the people who are the worst of the worst anywhere around you. I'm going to raise those people up to destroy you. This is exactly what uh, God says to Habakkuk. During this time, there is evil. There is corruption. There is violence. There is murder. Everybody's doing what they think is right in their own eyes. It's not good. It's an awful period of time to live. This is where the prophet Habakkuk is living. And God says, I'm going to use all of these very evil people to destroy you. Now, if you're Habakkuk, you're kind of hoping it's the opposite. Hey, Habakkuk, I'm going to use all of these people and I'm going to make you victorious over them. In fact, I'm going to elevate you, but that's not what Habakkuk receives from God. He says, I'm going to use all these lesser evil people and you're going to be destroyed. And in chapter one, we essentially see Habakkuk respond with this message. God, I I know you. 
I know your heart. I know your passion. And what you're telling me is not you. The two don't make sense. And so I'm having a hard time understanding this. You know that I'm going to honor you. You know that I'm going to follow you. But what you're doing doesn't exactly seem fair. And the question that we are going to wrestle with today is this. What do you do when you're in the dip of faith? What do you do when, you're, when your faith is struggling? If you weren't here last week, let me explain the dip, if you would, like this. An individual accepts Jesus Christ, his forgiveness of sin, and finds new life. In fact, your life is turned literally upside down, or if you would, right side up. There's a, a spiritual focus in those moments. Some of you guys can still remember the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual focus. There's, there's this rush of adrenaline. Maybe you did it at camp uh, during a winter camp or a summer camp or on a missions experience. And there's excitement. There's community. Things are happening. You're bought in. And then life happens. Life happens. There's arguments. Prayers aren't answered. Reading the Bible becomes quite boring. Sin struggles increase. Jobs are lost. Your kids begin to make bad decisions. Finances are difficult. Physical pain is present. There's tension. And in a moment, you, you say, hold on, God, I gave my life to you to find peace. I, I gave you my life to find hope, and yet everything that's happening, this doesn't make sense. I didn't think you were going to be like this. I thought being a Christian was going to be happy, happy, rah-rah. I thought it was going to feel good, but you're not doing what I know you can do. Pastor Brian stood up and talked about that you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you can move mountains, and yet in my life, it seems like you're not doing a thing. And then you enter into what author and pastor uh, Henry Blackaby calls is a crisis of belief. Some of you know this very, very well. Some of you have yet to experience this. Students especially tends to happen in later high school, early college. This crisis of belief. And so what do we do when we're in what we will refer to as a dip in our faith? We get punched in the stomach. And when a person enters into a dip, if you would, there's typically two responses. The first response is we remember the glory years, we remember that camp high, and we try to return to that place and pretend like nothing's happening. In other words, we, we stick our head in the hole. We don't look around us. We put on blinders. We pretend like everything's great with our kids. We pretend like everything's great between us and God, that, that life's just perfect, and so we try to return back. The other response is this, is we look at God and go, I, I'm told you're all powerful. I'm told you're all knowing. I'm told you can move mountains. That's not happening. I'm out of here. And we leave the church and we ditch faith and we walk away. 
In fact, statistically speaking, Barna Institute and others will say so many of those who end up walking away from the faith is because of that. We have set up baby Christians, if you would, and some of you are baby Christians, that if you accept Christ, everything is going to be great. Everything's going to work out. It's going to work out exactly as you have planned. And then that second choice is you go, well, forget it. You're not going to do what I know you can do, so I'm out of here. And so the question we're wrestling with this morning is, what do you do when you're in the dip? What do you do when you're in that place where you want to believe, but man, everything around you is making it awfully hard to believe? There are three specific things that we can do when we're in the dip. These three things will come from the first three verses of Habakkuk chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open those up or turn them on. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and I would love for you to use that. If you don't even own a Bible, please just take that with you. You can just take it home with you. It can be yours. But I would love for you to open up to the book of Habakkuk. Here's what Habakkuk says. He's just heard the news that God is literally going to destroy his people using the evil Babylonians. Remember last week we found out they have swift horses. They move in, they kill, and they get out before anyone can even form a defense. He's just heard this news, and it doesn't make sense to Habakkuk. There's no hope. In fact, as Habakkuk sits down and tries to reason through it, there's not even reason. And so Habakkuk, after giving his complaint to God in chapter 1 and then receiving God's response back, here is what Habakkuk says in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Okay, well then I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. That's in chapter 1. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. So biblically speaking, what do you do when you're in a dip? What do you do when you're struggling that you know God can do something, but he's not? What do you do when you're in the dip and you know God can absolutely insert himself, but everything is crumbling around you? It does not make sense. He could do something, but he's not. There's three things that we do, and this morning we're going to walk through each of them. Scripture teaches us, number one, what do we do when that's happening? We stop and we listen. We stop and we listen. We don't start moving. We don't make plans. We don't start making decisions. We don't start changing things. We don't insert ourselves physically into our problem. We stop and we listen. You talk about counterculture. No one in our culture today even stops. We're always moving. We're always clicking. 
We're always investigating. We're always going somewhere. We're always going somewhere super important. Can I give you a little insight? You're not very important. So much of your schedule is not that important. You make it important. You find yourself too busy and unable to stop. It's your fault. You need to look in the mirror. You need to look at your calendar and decide you are going to take over, not let it take over. That one's free. That has nothing to do with today. In fact, if you look at what Habakkuk says, he said, God, I don't like this. I'm complaining to you. We talked about this last week. I'm going to bring my complaints and my faith to God because it doesn't make sense to me. And so Habakkuk does that. And the beautiful thing is, God seemed to respectfully hear his complaint. God didn't put up his dukes. God didn't get defensive. God didn't justify. He listened. And it was as if God was saying, sure, you want to wrestle with me on this? Let's wrestle. Now, if God ever says that to you, you might wonder, is this a good idea? (laughs) If God says, yeah, absolutely, please, let's wrestle. Then you might pause and go, well, actually, you know what, we're good. But he looks at God and says, I don't like what you're doing. And too often what we do is we just whine. You notice that? We whine about life. We whine about our kids. We whine about how busy we are. We whine about our finances. We whine about life circumstances that are happening. We just whine. We are whiners. It's okay to do self-reflection and look at the mirror and call ourselves what we really are. Often we are whiners, not all the time, but often we just whine. And many of us, we never stop and listen. Because it doesn't make sense when life's not going right to stop. One of the first things you learn when I was at the police department and going through our police academy is when, when a significant crisis event happens, a fellow officer gets shot, shot uh, shots are coming from a house, is you stop, you assess. You don't just keep running. You're going to get yourself killed. But so often as Christians, we can't Stop. And say, God, what are you saying? Help me understand what's going on here. You see, here's the beautiful thing about God. He's a relational God. He's not a judge with some cheap uh, wig from Walmart sitting on a throne. He is a relational God who wants to understand your pain, who wants to understand your questions, who in fact wants to give you answers who wants to walk through life with you. He is not a God, not a judge who sits there and says, look, I'm God, I'll decide, you just go along with it. That is not the God we serve. We serve a relational God who loves us and wants that relationship with us. And he loves to speak to his children. If you spend any time reading the Bible, you will see God is into that. We often say he's not into the cat and mouse game. God doesn't want to keep things a secret from you. He doesn't want to play as we did with Chef a few weeks ago. He doesn't want to play hot and cold with you. 
He wants to speak with you. And he will speak. So the question is, how will he speak? I want to answer real quickly a couple ways of how does God speak. God can speak audibly through prayer. I've known several of my friends who have heard audibly God speak. I've never had that. God speaks to me in a different way. But God can speak. He does speak audibly. For me, I hear it in my inner voice, my, my, my inner thoughts as, as I'm praying before God. I hear him very, very distinctly, but it's not an audible voice. But he does do that. God speaks through his word each and every day, every day. You will not return it void if you come and ask God to speak to you through his word. Now, maybe what he speaks to you is, I'm here, I'm just going to be quiet. And you have to be okay with that answer. But God will absolutely speak through his word. God can speak to you through your circumstances in life. Hey, your boppy is in the office. I got this. Okay, good, Lisa. So it's in there. Um, well, side note, she has a little boppy for her baby. Did any of you knew what a boppy was when I said that? How many of you are like, what's he doing? Okay. Seriously, Gideon? All right. God can speak through your circumstances. He can speak through other people. Something happens in your life. Look for what God might be saying to you. And maybe what he wants to say to you is something great. Maybe it's something difficult. But he does want to. Now here's the deal. If you'll listen to him, if you will listen to God, you have to be ready for what he is going to say. It's like, you know, God bless some of you wives who will say, how does this look on me? Don't do that. Stop doing that. That is not fair. That's like me coming to you saying, honestly, how do I look bald? And you look at me like, hmm. Don't quite know how to answer that. Don't, I don't even know where I'm going with that. Habakkuk's not going to like it. If you go before God and you ask, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Habakkuk received an answer from God. And tell me, did Habakkuk like the answer? No. It's awful. But you will know exactly where you stand with God if, he said, if you come before God with your complaint and you say why and he gives you an answer. You might not like it, but you will have the assurance that you have an answer from God. And then you have to sit on that. And when you are silent before you, often God will speak. When you are silent before him, and you don't like it, you will know where you stand. And when you don't understand, the first thing you do in that dip of faith is you stop and listen and let God speak to you. That's the first thing. The second thing you do when you're in a dip is you write it down. I know we, we don't live in a journaling age. We used to. Now it's all digital. So take it digitally uh, there's a million apps to jot something down. Maybe it's an email to yourself. Maybe it's in notes. Maybe it's in a Word document ongoing. Or maybe it's the good old-fashioned paper. 
But when you stop and you listen, you write it down. Habakkuk said, where are you? What's going on? And God says, you want to know? You really want to know, Habakkuk? Then write this down. Take very good notes, Habakkuk. Verse 2, it says, Then the Lord replied, Habakkuk, help me out with this. Say it with me. Write down the revelation and make it plain. Before God answers Habakkuk, he says, You really want to know what I'm doing in this situation? Then get a pen. You're not going to like it, but I want you to write it down. And why does God want us to write it down? Why does God want us to record what he says to you? Not what he says in general. We have that general revelation through the scriptures. Why does God want you to write down what he says to you? Well, he was going to say to Habakkuk, Years later, when I prove myself true, when I prove myself as a man of my word, I want proof. I want the glory. I want you to show people that what I said actually took place. And so often what happens in our lives is God speaks to you. Maybe it's in a very subtle way. Maybe it's in a time of prayer. Maybe, maybe you're in a time of solitude and quietness and he speaks something to you. Answer this, how often and how easy it is for, to forget that. It's pretty easy to forget. Even if it's something very subtle, it's even more difficult to forget those things. And so we are supposed to write it down. But it's also for our benefit. Because if you're like me, Sandy will send me to Safeway to get two things. Bread and eggs. And I get there and something happens to mankind when, when we get to the store. Satan meets us at the opening doors and he begins to attack, right? And in a blink of an eye, we have no idea why we're there. We're dazed and confused. Workers are coming up saying, are you okay, sir? We don't know why we're there. And so thank God for Cell phones, I'll call Sandy and say, what am I supposed to get again? And she'll tell me. In fact, she'll send me a picture. <laughs> That's how loving she is. Get this, it's on aisle 12. Here's what it looks like. If you get lost, go find someone and have them call your mom, all right? I mean, she literally just takes care of me. But it's for our purposes too. Write it down so you'll remember it. If God tells you to do something or something he's going to do in and through you, you need to write it down because how many of us have been in a moment where we are saddened, we are depressed, we feel defeated, but we know that we know that we know that God said X, Y, and Z would come to fruition. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't taste like it, but we know God said this is going to happen. But it sure doesn't look like it. I think of, sorry to put you on the spot, but I think of Christy and, and Tracy and their family, you guys, the Hires family. 
with their adoption of their sweet little one in Haiti. They know that they know that they know that this sweet little girl has been set apart for them. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, if we look at the physical surroundings of the past couple years, it looks like anything but that. And so we write it down so that we can go back to that for hope, for direction. And so what do you do when you're in a crisis of belief? You're in that dip. You stop and listen. And then when he shows you, when God finally answers to your, your complaint or your question, you write it down. Write it down. And the third thing that you do when you're in the dip, when you're in this struggle of faith and you're asking questions, you're complaining, you're struggling, you don't see why this is happening, You've stopped, you've listened, you've received from God, you know exactly what's going on, is you wait. Awkward, isn't it? We don't like silence when we're struggling. We don't like to wait when we're in difficult circumstances. It's the worst. The last thing you want to hear is, wait right here, I'm going to go get help. Well, when's that help coming? As soon as I can get back and find someone and then we can get back to you. You're struggling with your son or daughter. You've stopped and you've listened. And God has said, you just need to trust me, I'm in this. I've got them. I'm working on them. You just have to trust me. And then as a mom or dad, you just have to wait. And wait. And wait. Some of you have been waiting for years. You've been waiting for that relationship to be healed. You've been waiting for your body to be healed. You've been waiting for that son or daughter to come back to the Lord. 
You've been waiting for a job. And this is why I said last week, it's not going to get much better. Because potentially the answer for you this morning is, you got to wait some more. And that's not what you want. And I understand that. And I emphasize, I have empathy for you. And yet watch what God says to the prophet in verse 3. This is pretty different than the time we live in. We live in instant gratification. We live in instant click. In fact, if we click and we have to wait at all, we're frustrated. Something, you know, my kids are constantly yelling, the internet's down. And I'm like, give it a chance. The internet's not down. It's just as taking a breath. And yet watch what God says to the prophet in verse 3. He says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of an end and it will not prove false. Look what God says. He says, though it linger, help me out with this, read with me, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. Some of you are pretty ticked off because you've been waiting in that lingering time. And waiting, and waiting. But you see, when God promises you something, when you know that you know that you know God has promised you something, you may have to wait a while, but you can count on it. Some of you right now, you're in that waiting zone. You believe God has truly shown you something, You've recorded it, and now you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're afraid that it's not going to come to pass. And I want to give you some truth. If, that, if that's you this morning, whatever the circumstance might be, and you've been waiting, you know God is real, you know he has spoken, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, I want to give you some truth to put in every room of your house, on your refrigerator, every mirror. I want you to hear this very clearly. God's delays are not God's rejections. Please hold on to that hope. Please about allow that to be life-changing for you. God's delays are not God's rejections. When God has promised something, it will come to pass. When you look through the scripture, you can see this time and time again, example after example after example of, of the people of God. God would promise something and then they would wait. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses. We see it in Joseph. We see it in Paul. We see it in John. And the list goes on that God very sincerely promised something directly to an individual. And yet they had to wait. And you have to wait until that appointed time. It's kind of like you know, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes analogies pop into my head. They're not always good. So grace, please. 
But it's kind of like a woman who's nine months pregnant. Now, trust me, I'm being careful as I tiptoe into this, women. You're like, what does he know about being nine months pregnant? <laughs> now, listen. Ladies, when it's time, it's time. When you're nine months pregnant, Christy's not here. When you're nine months pregnant, you've been carrying this baby forever and you feel something, you go, honey, it's time. What time is it? It's time. The husband goes, hold on a second. I got to do my hair and get some things and the doctor's not here yet. And the wife turns and goes, it's time. <laughs> then you can bet your dollar it's time. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It's time, it is time, it is time. With God, it's time. There's nothing you can do to delay it. There's nothing you can do to expedite it. Why? Because it's God's time. It's his plan. It's his desires for you in the midst of your life circumstances. And so you wait for it. We don't insert ourselves to force it to go faster. We pump the brakes and we wait for it. And we wait for it. And we wait for it. You want to know how long Habakkuk waited for it? A really long time. In fact, most of his generation passed on before it came to fruition. They never saw it. They never got to see the fruit of that promise. They never got to see what they knew God specifically said to them in the midst of their family, in the midst of their circumstances. They never got to see it. They passed on. And some of you right now, you're in that waiting zone. You're in the dip and you believe God has promised you something, but you don't see it. And then when everyone else virtually says, listen, just forsake God, give up on this dream, give up on what you know God has promised you, it's probably not going to happen. Why are you working so hard at this? Why are you holding on to hope? God's not coming through for you, and he could. The Bible says that the righteous will live not by what they see, but by faith. The righteous will live by faith that God will be true to his word. Definitely true to his word as in the word of God, but also true to you, the word he has spoken to you. And you will live by faith as you put your trust in that. In fact, if you ever want to build your faith up a little bit, I would encourage you to spend some time in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. And it goes through a list again and again and again of how people lived by faith. I just want to hit a few of the high points. By faith, we believe that the world was formed at God's command. By faith, Noah built an ark at the ridicule and mocking of everyone around him by faith to save his family. By faith, Abraham and Sarah were way past the age of childbearing, but God brought them a son. By faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac to be sacrificed and God intervened at just the last second and said, stop, you don't have to do this. By faith, the people of God marched around the walls of Jericho and the walls, what did they do? They came, come on, you know the song, they came tumbling down. By faith, the people of God walked through the Red Sea and it parted on both sides. By faith. 
Friends, when you have difficulty in your job or you've lost it, remember that God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't go at this alone. When school is hard and you feel like you're the only one, when you're struggling with friends or classes or the pressure or the grades and everyone's pulling you in every single direction, remember that God goes with you and he is for you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. When your relationship or your marriage is crumbling before your eyes, when your marriage is literally falling apart and you have people around you saying, ditch that guy or ditch that girl, just get out of that relationship, give up, get a divorce, be done with this, then you can by faith in many situations say, no, I remember the vows that we made before God and I remember his promise to me. When your kids are making bad decisions, when they're going astray, maybe they're still a teen or maybe they're in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and they're going astray and everyone's going, man, eh, bummer that so-and-so just isn't walking with the Lord, isn't, isn't with the Lord right now in relationship. Every now and then one gets away. You believe that by faith God is working in their hearts. You believe that God is running after them. The remaining verses of Habakkuk chapter 2 are basically like getting taken out to the woodshed. Any of you remember getting taken out to the would-be woodshed? I'm the only one? Thank you, Grant. Grant and I got taken out to the woodshed by my grandpa. Anyone who's been taken out to the woodshed, if you would, it's not fun. You don't go out there to discuss politics. In the rest of chapter 2, there are a lot of woes. Not woe, Nelly, but woes in you screwed up. There are a lot of who do you think you are. There are a lot of what in the world were you thinking when you did such and such. There are a lot of, you did this and you did that. It's not good. God is literally using Habakkuk to take the people out to the woodshed. They're in trouble with dad. They're in the principal's office. It's not going well. And then it's quiet. And Habakkuk is left in his dip. He's not pulled from it. He's not given a warm hug. He's not been told, hey, but don't worry, next chapter it gets much better. <laughs> He's left there. And so what happens when you are living by faith? What happens when you still don't see what you believe God has promised? Well, there's three little words at the end of chapter two that I want to draw your attention to. Three little words that I believe if you hold on to these words, they could be life-changing no matter the circumstances you might find yourself in. 
three little words on your journey to intimacy and trust and faith. These three words, but the Lord. But the Lord. Habakkuk says, even though I, I don't understand. Habakkuk says, even though I don't like it. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. What you're saying, God, is awful. What, what we're about to experience is awful but the Lord is in his temple. The Lord is still in charge, but the Lord, he is good. But the Lord, he is righteous. But the Lord, he is loving. He is true, but the Lord, he is still there. Even though everything else around us is what we don't want to see, but the Lord. The Lord is in his holy temple. And then he says, let all the earth be silent before me. He doesn't say let all the Christians. He doesn't say let all the church people. He doesn't say let all the pretty people. Or let all the people who have got their act together, let all of those people be silent. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all of the earth be silent. <clears throat> Silence. Because the Lord's in his temple. And he's still in charge. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, I don't know about this fiery furnace thing. I'm pretty sure we're going to die. When they light that bad boy up and we go in there, I'm, I'm fairly certain that fire and bodies don't mix. We're probably going to die in this. I believe God will deliver us. I believe God will deliver us. I believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. We still believe. Why? Why do we still believe but the Lord? He is in his holy temple. And so what do you do when you're in the dip? What do you do when you're struggling in faith? When you're struggling to hang in there? You stop and you listen. And then you write it down. And you hold on to that. And then you wait. And you remember, but the Lord. It's as if God is saying, zip it. You might not be so harsh to your kids, but I've said zip it to my kids. 
They keep complaining. They keep whining. They keep talking to me about screens. And I'm like, zip it. I don't want to hear anymore. And sometimes our, our complaint before God is him going, look, I'm in my throne. I've got your kids. I've got your situation. I've got your work situation. I've got your relationship problems. I've got your marriage. I've got it. Do you realize who you're speaking to? I am still in the throne. Zip it. And in all love that I can muster with a chapter like this, I just want to say to you, maybe God's message to you is zip it. Shut up. In love to be sure, but also a firmness. I've got this. I need to hear this for my boys. As they begin to ask questions about adoption and, and about their, their birth mother and their, their birth father and, and their, their siblings. And I have this unbelievable fear as I look at them, are they going to look at me as adopted dad or, or real dad? And I feel like God is looking at me and saying, Brian, stop it. I've got you. So I don't know what your darkness is. I don't know, I don't know what your complaint is before God. I, I don't know what you're struggling with. But the Lord... He's in his holy temple. He's still in charge. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And he wants to speak to you in a very personal way. So stop and listen. Write it down and wait. And when waiting gets way too hard, get other people to wait with you. Get a tribe. <laughs> And then know that the Lord can handle it when you're whining. He can handle your whines. And one of the great times that we can do that, that we can stop, listen, write it down and wait. And then he can also hear our hearts is in worship. As we, as we come and we sing, we cry out to him, we raise our hands, we kneel, we shout it. Because this isn't a game. This isn't just something we're doing. This is, this is the world that we're living vicariously through Habakkuk. And we can learn from that. So would you please stand with me? Let's pray and let's go into this time of worship as Chef and the team lead us. God, we, we submit to the word of God. We submit to you, God, who is in the holy temple. We submit to you who is the one and only true God. We submit to you who we will spend eternity with in heaven. Hear our complaints, hear our struggles, hear our questions, but also hear our faith as we bring them before you in a very personal way in this time of worship. For we love you and praise you. Thank you for listening and thank you for speaking through your holy word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.